0: would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to two places in the Bible. Uh, The first place is Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The pages are listed for you in your your, uh, bulletins if you'd like to follow along in the red Bibles around you. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to read the last few verses of chapter 28, verses 16 through verse 20. And then once you have your finger there for Matthew 28 turn over to the right a few uh, books to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be reading Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, and then Matthew, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse beginning in verse 11. I'm going to read Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16 first. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work here in this very moment. That you would open our hearts and our eyes that we might see and understand and believe wonderful things from this portion of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, then you know that uh, we're taking a break from our series of uh, uh, looking in the book of Revelation. We've been looking at the book of Revelation since the fall or since the summer, and uh, we're taking a break from that. Although the break that we're taking and we're looking at uh, kind of this uh, short sermon series on the Great Commission, uh, it's actually very much in line with uh, what we've been talking about with the book of Revelation. And we're taking a break for this month, the month of December, uh, when God's people around the world celebrate the season of Advent. It's a season that has historically been used by God's people to not only and not primarily to think about Christ's first coming, his first Advent. That's what the word Advent means, coming or arrival. That's certainly what partly we do. We think about Christ's first coming. But primarily, historically, Advent has been a season when God's people think about his second Advent, his second coming. And, and now, as God's people, we live between the Advents, between the first time that Jesus came, and we await when he is coming again. And the season of Advent is supposed to be a time when we think about what should we be doing How should we be getting ready? How should we be preparing as God's people for his second advent? We talked last week about the fact that Jesus gave his disciples instructions. He gave us uh, the words of uh, instructions for how we are to get ready, how we are to prepare what we're supposed to be doing as we're waiting for his second coming, his second advent. And we refer to it often as the Great Commission. It's the Matthew chapter 28 passage that we read. That's Jesus telling his disciples in between this time of my first coming and my second coming of my first advent and my second advent. Here's what you're supposed to be about. Here's what you're supposed to be doing to get ready and to ready the world for my coming. And we read that passage just a minute ago and we looked at it in more detail last week. Jesus gave them a command. There's an imperative in that statement that Jesus makes to his disciples and the command that he gives them is that they are to make disciples of all the nations. They are to reach people. They are to reach out to people with the gospel to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then to bring them into the church and equip them with the word of truth, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded us to obey. We looked last week not only at that command and all that Jesus is saying about that command, but we also looked and saw that Jesus gives His people motivation. That's a great task that He's given us, a great commission, if you will, a great mission. And it seems daunting. And so we looked at the motivation that Jesus gives us so that we won't hesitate in going out to live as His people and to make disciples. And that motivation is the fact that we go out with the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and we also go out with the very presence of Jesus. Last week, we also took just a very brief period of time to look at a, a snapshot of what Paul gives the church in Ephesus of what it looks like for the church to live out this great commission. Uh, we looked at chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and we saw this picture of Paul that Paul gives us of what it means to live out this commission, to go out making disciples of the nations. And what we saw in those verses was that Paul talks about the fact that we as God's people for ourselves, but also as we seek to make disciples, ought to be attempting to grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord, that we ought to be attempting to grow in our knowledge and our love of others, and that we ought to be growing in our ability and our motivation to serve in the kingdom of God. Today, what I want us to do is a little deeper dive into the first of those three parts of the picture that Paul gives us in Ephesians 4. That as God's people, we are to be growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. But as we seek to make disciples, what that looks like is we're trying to get people to grow in their knowledge and their love for the Lord. That's part of what it means to make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing as we wait for his second advent. So today what I want us to do is to look and see what that means. What does it mean to grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord? How do we do that? And then why we should do it. So first of all, what does it mean that we are to grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord? Well, Paul gives us a picture of what that looks like here in these verses. And you'll see here in verses 11 through 16, in the English, uh, it is... Uh, it's not this way in the English, but in the Greek, it's actually one long, intricate sentence that Paul is writing here. And Paul fills this sentence with all kinds of phrases of what it means to grow in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. Let's let's look at these phrases. He begins in verse 11 in the beginning of verse 12 to say that the Lord gave the church various kinds of pastors and leaders that they might equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of ministry. And as they're doing that, as the saints are being equipped, and as they're going out to do the work of ministry, people are beginning to grow in their knowledge and their love for the Lord. And how does Paul describe that? The end of verse 12, he talks about one aspect of growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord as being the body of Christ that is being built up. You can see that at the end of verse 12. The body of Christ, that is, God's people, His saints, His disciples, are being built up. It's kind of an interesting phraseology that that Paul is using here. And most of the commentators believe that Paul is actually drawing on language that comes right out of the Old Testament. Particularly out of the prophet Jeremiah. God had told His people in the Old Testament that because they were unfaithful, they were going to go into exile But he also promised to them that he would bring them out of exile. And he said to them in more than one occasion that as I bring my people out, I am going to build a people for myself. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting language that God is going to build a people for himself. Jesus picks up on that language in Matthew chapter 16 where he talks about the fact that he will build his church. Here's the first part of the picture of what it looks like to grow in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. It's a picture of building, being built up by God, growing and being added to the Lord, helping us to know and to understand him better and establishing us in his truth. The beginning of verse 13 gives us another aspect of what it means to grow in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. He talks about the fact that we will be attaining the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Beginning of verse 13. Notice, even in our English translations here, we have that little word the in front of both faith and knowledge. It's the faith and the knowledge. Paul here is not speaking about our faith and our knowledge. He's speaking about the faith and the knowledge. He's talking about the objective truth, Of the Christian faith. The the, the story of Scripture. The story of God's redemptive love and pursuit of His people. The story of creation and the fall and redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day the consummation of it all. It reminds us of what Paul had been praying Uh, For the Ephesians, and we see this in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, this prayer that he's praying for the Ephesians. Listen to what he prays for them. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now here in chapter 4, he is talking about the fact that as God's people are growing, as they're being built up, as they are growing in their knowledge and love for the Lord, they are growing in their understanding of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Our understanding of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love for His people begins to grab us more and more and more. That's part of what it means to grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. To understand the faith and the knowledge. It is deep, it is rich, it is multifaceted, but notice it is also unified. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We are to be growing in our knowledge and our commitment to it. Paul gives us another picture of what it means to grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord. There, the middle part of verse 13, that we would be attaining mature manhood. That phrase that Paul uses is a very unusual phrase. Not only does it uh, not appear other places than the New Testament, it actually is a very unusual phrase in all of the ancient literature. It literally is the picture of a, uh, of a uh, full-grown adult. And so what he's giving them here is a picture. They're they're supposed to have this picture in their mind of this full grown adult as representative of a spiritually mature Christian brother or sister in Christ. That's the picture that he's giving us. And it's in contrast to what he says in verse 14. What does he contrast it to in verse 14? He says we are to be mature men and women we are to be growing up into spiritually mature people in contrast to verse 14 so that we may no longer be children you see the contrast between a fully grown adult and a spiritually mature person versus a child and the word that's being used here for child is a very specific word that referred to a child that was very young even an infant one who was not able to to speak yet So you have to kind of visualize this picture of what Paul's saying. He's saying that the opposite of growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord is that we're like a child, a very young child. And notice it's a child that gets pushed around by waves of the sea. And so I think what we're designed, to, what we're supposed to have in our mind's eyes, we look at this picture of what he's saying, the picture of what it looks like to not grow in our knowledge and our love of the Lord is as if we were a little child, maybe 9 to 12 months old at the beach. And it kind of waddles onto the sand up to where the water is coming up and just starting to lap up against the sand. But then starts to kind of go a little bit further into the ocean to where the waves are breaking. You can have that picture of a nine-month-old or a 12-month-old standing there in the midst of that and how easy it would be for a wave to come and just knock them off, to toss them. Off their balance. That's the picture of what Paul's giving us here of what it looks like to not be someone who is growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. It'd be like being that little child playing in the ocean and having the waves pushing against them, pushing them around, being unsteady. And notice Paul says here too what the waves are that are pushing those who are not growing in their knowledge and faith and love for the Lord. He says it in verse 14. It's every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes. Those are the waves. Those are the waves that are coming and battling against us. Every wind of doctrine. One commentator said that what's being referred to there is what we might call today theological fads. They, they may, may or may not be Quite right, according to the scriptures, but they're they're fads. They come and go. They're things that people latch on to are new ways of understanding something or new ways of 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 doing something in the Christian faith that aren't exactly according to God's word. And we latch on to them and they push us around to and fro, making us unsteady. It's not just theological fads, but notice he says human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's using some graphic language here. The word for cunning is a Greek word that means playing with dice, gambling, trickery. And the word crafty here, it's used to intensify this, this trickery, the, the cunningness. It literally means readiness to do any kind of deceitful scheme. Paul uses the word crafty in 2 Corinthians to talk about the serpent deceiving Eve in the Garden of Eden. So you see the picture here that he's painting. The opposite of growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. The opposite of being a mature disciple is being like a small, immature child that is easily misled by whatever latest theological fad is going on, being led astray by wrong doctrine, being easily swayed by false teachers and deceivers and trickery. Instead, he says, what we are to be about is growing up, being built up into mature manhood, growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. Now, I don't want you to get lost in what we're looking at. As we're waiting for the second advent of Jesus, we are given a calling by Jesus himself to go out and make disciples of the nations. We are to be reaching people with the gospel and we are to be equipping them with the word of truth. And Paul is giving us here in Ephesians chapter four, a picture of what that looks like. Part of what it looks like is that we ourselves and the disciples that we would seek to make are growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. That we're being built up as the body of Christ. We're growing in our knowledge and our unity of the Christian faith. We're maturing spiritually so that we're no longer pushed around and swayed by false teaching and teachers. That's what we're supposed to be doing as we're waiting for Jesus' second advent. So the question comes, how do we do that? uh, We're coming out of this past winter uh, setting uh, records for the amount of snow that came down in Rochester. Uh, It was, what, 85, 86 inches this this last winter, uh, breaking the records. We had people uh, from around the country, news anchor teams, coming to Rochester in southeastern Minnesota to interview the Minnesotans to talk about this record snowfall that we had had. And we we were groaning and complaining about the 85 or whatever inches it was of snow that we had that came down uh, this past winter. And so now we're wondering... What's going to happen this winter? Are we going to set another record? Maybe 90 inches this year. Maybe 95 inches. But however much snow we get, it won't compare to what a little town in southeastern Alaska got back in 2012. The town of Cordova, Alaska. The winter of 2012, Cordova, Alaska got 18 feet of snow. There were piles around town where they had pushed the snow off the streets as high as 35 to 40 feet tall. It was literally a mountain of a problem. There was no easy way, easy solution to how to get rid of all the snow and what to do with it. How do you manage that much snow? They had to have special kinds of shovels, and they had to deal with the fact that buildings were collapsing under the weight of the snow on the roof. Houses had to be dug out, not just driveways and sidewalks, but houses had to be dug out of the snow. And then, what do you do with all that snow in the spring when it starts to melt? You see the problem. As I was reading an article about the situation, the mayor of Cordova was quoted at the time, and he was expressing incredible, serious uncertainty and anxiety about what they were going to do with all of that snow. It was a literally a mountain of a problem with no easy, simple, clear solution. As we look at what Paul is saying here about what we are to be like, how we're to be growing in the knowledge and the love of God. And as we think about the call to go out and make disciples that are growing in their knowledge and their love of the Lord, we might look at this and say, this is a mountain of a job description and we don't know how to do it. There's no, there's no simple, there's no clear path forward for how we could conquer this incredible responsibility that we are given as God's people. But I would suggest to you this morning that indeed... The Lord has given us clear, simple, and practical ways of how we're to go about this important work. One of them, one of the tools that he gave us, was actually in the Great Commission itself. We talked about it a little bit last week. It's one of the last things that Jesus says in the Great Commission. He tells them that they're to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, he says... To observe all that I've commanded you. Now, where do we have that? Where do we have recorded for us what Jesus has commanded us for us to believe and to observe? It's right here. It's in the Word of God. In fact, the entirety of the Word of God is about Jesus. And Jesus tells us what it means to follow him and what it means to believe in him and what it means to observe all of the things that he's commanded. One of the tools that we have to grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord is the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures. We see that as well in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where Luke records a, a fact about the early church. He said, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the word of God They devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right there is a number of tools that God gives to his people that we might ourselves grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord and make disciples who are growing in their knowledge and love for the Lord. We are making use of the word of God, the scriptures. We are participating in the fellowship, which means God's people getting together to encourage one another, meeting together, to have community and fellowship with one another. That we are breaking bread together. And the, the commentators there are divided. It could be that what is being referenced is the fact that they would eat together, literally breaking bread together and having meals together when they had fellowship. Or perhaps it's speaking more directly about the Lord's Supper, that they would break bread around the table of the Lord's Supper together. And the prayers that they would spend time praying to the Lord alone and also with other Christians. These are the tools that God gives us that we ourselves might grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord and make disciples that are growing in their knowledge and love for the Lord. There's another one that's given to us in Hebrews chapter 10. There the author of Hebrews says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's another one of the tools that we would meet together regularly to worship and to encourage one another, to stir one one another up to love and to good works. The word of God. The worship of God's people, the sacraments that God gives to his church, the fellowship that we have with one another, praying to the Lord individually and together. These are the God given ordinary means of growing us in our knowledge and our love of the Lord. They're not complicated. They're ordinary. They're mundane. But they're also not super exciting. And they're also not super innovative. Or perhaps intriguing. But they are the God-ordained means that He has given to us to use. Now think about how you can make use of those throughout the week. We gather together every week on Sunday morning. We go through the service, the order of the service, the liturgy that walks us through praying to the Lord, reading his word, listening to his word being preached, participating in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. We gather together in between the services for a time to dig more deeply into some aspect of God's word as it relates to our lives through our Sunday school program. We study the Scriptures together in small groups as we gather together to look at what God's Word says for us. We have fellowship with one another in smaller gatherings uh, more than just on Sunday morning. We spend time individually and, and as a family together in worship. In addition to what we do on Sunday morning, these are the tools that God has given to us for our use for ourselves as well as others as we seek to grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. And I would suggest to you... That if we're not making use of these tools, then it shouldn't surprise us that we're not growing in maturity, in knowledge, and love for the Lord. It shouldn't surprise us that we're not seeing others growing in their knowledge and love for the Lord. And here's the hard thing this is not a quick fix. They are ordinary, they are mundane, they are not exciting, they are not innovative, but this is not a quick fix. What God gives us are these tools, not as a fast way of helping us to grow and mature, but over time as we persevere and have patience and persist in making use of these tools. And so, we need some good motivation. What's going to keep us going? What, what can we get in pursuing a knowledge and love for the Lord that would help motivate us to actually do it? Two things. The first is, that we might have true peace in our lives. I go back to what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 4. Go back to verse 14. This negative example of this, this little child. This child that's not speaking yet. In the waves. The waves of theological fads and uh, false teaching and, and trickery and craftiness and cunningness. Being battled and batted by these waves back and forth. This is not a picture of peace. This is not a picture of of, of being at rest. This is a picture of being a picture of chaos and a picture of anxiety. And he says that's a picture of what happens when we're not growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. But as we and others grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord, what that brings to us is the opposite of that. It brings to us peace and stability and maturity and strength. And that's what we want. That's a pretty good motivator for us. It doesn't mean that there won't be storms in this life that we have to go through. Of course there will be. But as we grow more and more and mature more and more in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. The more that we will weather those storms and find stability and peace in the midst of them. Even as we go through the trials and difficulties and tragedies that come our way in this life. That's a pretty powerful motivator for us. That we might have peace in the midst of the waves of life that come at us. But I think there's an even more important and even greater motivator. It's in verse 5. It's the love of a Savior for people even like us. What does Paul say in verse 15? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Paul, here in verse 15, is using the language of union with Christ. Into Him, who is the head. Into Christ. It's one of Paul's most favorite phrases. That in Christ, that we are Christians, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that by faith, we are united to Him. We are connected to Jesus. And what He got we are able to get. What He deserved, we get. And He gets what we deserved. He lived the life that we should have lived, and then He died the death that we deserved to die. And as a result, because we're united and connected to Him, because we are in Christ, we get the reward that He earned that we could never earn for ourselves. Paul says here that we are supposed to speak the truth in love. And in verse 13 of chapter 1, he talked about what that truth is. He talks about the word of truth that is the gospel of our salvation. Here's our greatest motivation for doing the hard work of growing in the knowledge and love for the Lord and making disciples who are growing in their knowledge and love for the Lord is that we would meditate on the love of God for us. That through the gospel of grace... We would grasp more and more the depth of God's mercy and love for us, and that would want that would make us want to know Him more and more. Paul was writing another letter to a pastor named Titus. And in a passage that we use often here at Trinity because it's one of our favorite passages. In Titus chapter 2 verse 11, Paul says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus has appeared His first advent. And now He teaches us through His grace, through the gospel, what it means to grow in our love and our knowledge of the Lord. In the gospel, we see how much we are loved and we see how much we are cherished. We see the love of God for us as we are His very treasured possession. And the more that we see the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus, the more that we will want to know Him more deeply. To grow in our knowledge and our love for him. I think all things considered, we tend to like things simple rather than complicated. I've shared this illustration with you before. It's something that I think is demonstrated in two recent inventions that have been publicized. I heard about these a number of years ago. One is called the Q-Drum. The Q-Drum. It looks like a large... Donut, uh, or a, a tire that has a rope that's attached to one end of it. And inside of that large donut or that l- large tire is 20 gallons of water. And it can be pulled with the cord along the ground. It was created uh, with third world countries in mind where people have to travel long distances in order to get water. And the goal was to try to eliminate the debilitating back and neck and spine injuries that come from carrying water jugs on one's head. Very simple. Very easy to understand. The Q drum. Something that meets a very specific purpose in a very clear way. That's unlike the complexity of what is referred to as the Japanese super toilet. It's an ultra-luxurious, super-high-end toilet. One of the most advanced and complicated toilets in the world. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. It has a wireless control panel the size of about three of our hymnals. 38 buttons that have settings for heating the seat, air conditioning, a blow dryer, massage options, water jet adjustments, An automatic lid opening and closing function, auto flushing options, music selections, an ozone ozone deodorizing system. It glows in the dark and it has sensors to take your blood pressure, your blood sugar, measuring your pulse and taking your body fat calculations. All of which can be automatically sent to your doctor via the built-in internet capable cellular phone. It also comes... Uh, with a 360 degree tornado super flush mechanism that forever removes the need for a plunger. Who knew you could could make going to the bathroom so complicated? Now, here are these two inventions. The Q-drum and the Japanese super toilet. We're intrigued by the Q-drum and we roll our eyes at the super toilet. Why? Because one is simple and makes sense, it's easy to understand, it's easy to use, and the other one, frankly, probably would be very anxiety-producing to use. One brings peace of mind, the other brings anxiety. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we live between the first and the second advents of Jesus. And as we're waiting for His second advent, Jesus gives us instructions the Great Commission. He sends us out to make disciples of all the nations. And part of what that means is that we are to be reaching people with the gospel and equipping them with the word of truth. And one part of what that looks like is that we would be ourselves and that we would be making disciples who are growing in their knowledge and their love for the Lord. And the Lord has given us very simple, clear, ordinary, mundane means in, in order to accomplish that. Reading the scriptures, worshiping and participating in the sacraments of the church, fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters in Christ, spending time in prayer, alone in our families, in our small groups, and together as we gather on Sunday mornings. And to the degree that we make use of these very simple, clear means of grace, to that degree we will grow in our knowledge and our love for the Lord. And to the degree that we help others to grow in their knowledge and love for the Lord, to that same degree in part, we will be helping to make disciples of the nations as Jesus has called us to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And we do thank you for these easy-to-understand, clear means of grace that you have given to us these tools, I pray that you would help us to be diligent in making use of them, even though they're not fast-acting in producing knowledge and love for you necessarily, even though they're not exciting, innovative, we pray that you would help us, help us to make use of these tools that you've given to us, that we truly might ourselves, grow in our knowledge and love of you, but also, Father, that we would make disciples that are growing in their knowledge and love for you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. table doesn't belong to me. It's not my table. It's not the table of this church. It's not the table of our denomination. It's not a Presbyterian table. This table belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His table that points to His body and His blood, His body that was given for us, His blood that was shed for us. And he alone is the one who can say, who can come to this table. And he says that if you have your faith resting in Christ, if you're finding your peace, not in things in your life or things outside of your life, but you're finding your peace ultimately in Christ and you're resting in Christ for your salvation, that you are you are trusting in Him alone for your salvation, then and if you've publicly professed your faith in Christ here at Trinity or another church that believes that God's word is true and that the gospel is by grace alone and Christ alone, then eat and drink as the trays are coming around being, be reminded of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that is given for you and the blood of Jesus that is uh, shed for you. And also know this, that as we come in faith, even a faith that is as small as a mustard seed, as we come in faith, uh, clinging to Christ, that the Holy Spirit's at work, taking what we're doing and nourishing us, spiritually strengthening us, uh, maturing us, if you will, so that as we go out, we might be people who are equipped to, the, to this incredible commission that He has given to us of making disciples of the nation. So let's pause for a moment and ask the Lord to uh, bless this table, this means of grace, and to use it for His purposes, of, for His glory alone. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this means of grace, this tool that you've given us, the Lord's Supper. Uh, We pray that you would use it for our strengthening, that you would remind us of what is true in the gospel. But also, Father, that through the Spirit you would be at work as we come uh, in faith, that you would strengthen us and spiritually nourish us so that we might be equipped to go out and to live this week for you, for your glory. We pray that even through this means of grace that you would fill us with a knowledge and love for you. And inspire us and motivate us and send us out to make disciples who are also growing in their knowledge and love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.